1: Welcome to the VICE Magazine Podcast, your definitive guide to enlightening information. We've rolled the October and November issue into one for our second annual music issue, which will come out in early November. So, for this month, we're trying out a new weekly format of the show. For the rest of the month, we'll be highlighting one important story from across the VICE digital network every week. First up, VICE.com's news editor, Matt Taylor, interviews Wilbert Cooper a senior editor for the site and longtime contributor to Vice magazine. They discuss a recent story Wilbert wrote exploring the ways black men in America grapple with race and toxic masculinity.
0: The genesis for this, the the idea to do the piece, didn't come from a pitch meeting or not even necessarily an article you read, but from a trip you took, right? And I I just wondered if you could talk about what that trip was and and why it was remarkable.
2: Yeah, so, you know, I had the opportunity to go down to D.C. and to go to the... African American uh, History Museum there, um, which had recently opened up, and it was a really incredible experience. You know, there's a lot of great stuff that you'd imagine that they would have. They have like Nat Turner's Bible. They have all kinds of different artifacts from slavery. They even have like a um, a slave house. The the most powerful thing that they have there is a, a room that's dedicated to Emmett Till, and obviously, this is a pretty iconic. Thing because this was in many people's opinions like the genesis of the the civil rights movement. You know the the fact that after Emmett Till had been murdered, his his mother decided to have an open casket so that the world could see um, what two white men did to her son for pretty much no no good reason. So that's an incredible
0: detail that after his murder, it wasn't just like the press suddenly elevated him as this symbol of southern racial terrorism or the civil rights movement, but his mother actually took a deliberate step, whether she knew it would be that historically resonant or not, it's hard to say, but she really wanted the world to to see what happened to him.
2: Yeah, and I think that that brutality is, you know, one of the things that wakes people up. You know, because you're sort of living with those realities on a day-to-day basis, but when you have to actually look at it and stare it in the face, it really sort of shocks the senses and, and reminds you of the fight that's ahead. And I think that's sort of what happened back in the day, and we also see that happening today with these viral videos. You know, I know the struggle that Eric Garner was going through. I understand it, and I live it. And, and breathe it in the same way that he did. But to be able to see the brutality captured on film is different and watch it again and again, it's different. And so the interesting about the essay is that I talk a lot about having seen some, so many of these videos, whether it's Philando Castile or Eric Garner or the the, the, the murder of Trayvon Martin or whatever, these these sort of like, Instances of, of murder in this country that are very connected to this country's like terrible racial history, but I never let myself sort of emote over those things or or um, really process those things beyond just my like indignation as as a journalist and and as a sort of intellectualized black man. Uh, but when I went to see that coffin and um, you know really sort of think about this long history of of oppression and of violence that is in this country and the brutality that existed from back in the day all the way up until now, um, I was sort of like filled with emotion and I expressed it right there in front of that coffin. I started to cry and it was a really crazy thing for me because I don't cry very much at all or often. And I definitely don't cry in public. You know, I was there with my girlfriend. I was there with you know surrounded by children and old people and just all different kinds of people and to to be that way was was sort of crazy but I had no control over it and um, it was one of the things that after i I cried, I wondered why I don't do it that often you know and, and why it took me so long to sort of express those feelings in that way um and, and so that was sort of the genesis of the beginning of Thinking about how to talk about this stuff and and how to write an essay about it.
0: Was your girlfriend surprised? I mean, had she ever yeah. seen you cry before? No, no,
2: no, yeah, no. She was she was she was really surprised um, by it. When you don't express those feelings, they come out in in different ways. So these murders, this reality of racial oppression that exists within in this country, is something that I was still processing. All the time and thinking about yeah. it all the time, I just was expressing it in in different ways, and I think it manifested itself in a lot of anger and maybe some like more self destructive behavior, um, especially like in my early twenties. That was related to some of this stuff, but because I wasn't able to feel or express it, I was doing kind of crazy crazy stuff as a result of it. And she was there through that, so I think I think she was much happier to see me see me cry than, it, than yeah. to do something like you know violent or or crazy. So yeah. it was
0: good. And I think, as as you say in the essay, a lot of American men are sort of socialized into a culture, American men of of, of all races, you might say, where there are certain expectations or ideals of masculinity and how men behave and and shouldn't behave. Uh, you know, certainly my own father. you know a Brooklyn guy from Flatbush had very sort of rigid ideas of what it meant to be a man but as you get into in the piece it's one thing to be sort of dealing with expectations about manhood and, and another to confront sort of the legacy and and the current reality of what it means to be a black man and and you sort of connected that to your own your own family and your your father and grandfather and I wondered if you could could sort of walk us through that a little bit.
2: Um, I think you know, when you want to talk about masculinity for black people in the piece, I sort of take it all the way back to the plantation, right? So there's this element there where it's like you have black men who are enslaved, they have no they have no freedom, they have no rights. and you have white men sort of at the top of of the pecking order. And in the piece, I try to talk about how there are two different, responses you can have to a situation like that. One can be that I want to subvert the order completely, or it can be that I want to be at the top of of the food chain myself. And so I think that there's a frustration there where you're... Looking at yourself and you have these ideals that you've gotten from society about what you're supposed to be, but there's no avenue or there's no way to sort of attain them. And I think like even looking at my dad, you know, he's a person who grew up um, in an environment where not a lot of people went to college. Some, some of his friends that he grew up with are in prison. You know, and he made a decision at a certain point in his life that he wanted to have all those things that people have that have power. He wanted to be able to have money, security, uh, be able to take care of his family and have a certain amount of respect and, and wield power within his community. And that meant becoming a police officer. That was the route for him to take. And, of course, it's a complicated sort of bargain because being a police officer means being part of a system that was initially created to oppress black people and, and you know has that in its in its very roots. So it's so complicated and and then there's that other layer that I'm sort of grappling with as an individual where I'm saying, well I don't want that I don't want to wield. Power over other people or, or, or be part of some kind of destructive system. That's like the other, the other layer. And so yeah. like navigating between those things is, is a complicated thing for, for individuals. And uh, for black men, I think it's just it's a minefield that we go through. And I think this generation is especially trying to interrogate those issues.
0: I think that's why it's, it's so impressive that you kind of walk the reader through it so sort of artfully because it's so complicated. And the tension that you've been getting at, I think, as you point out in the piece, also has to do with just the historical legacy of slavery and and racial terrorism in the South, right? That there was a desire on one hand in parts of the black community to sort of steal themselves and steal their children against uh, threats of all kinds. Absolutely. Um, And you talk about that with your grandfather and, and how your father was raised. But on the flip side of that, if you present to the world as tough, or defiant, or independent in certain ways, you can fit into those tropes that our culture has erected of thuggish or dangerous black men. Mm -hmm. And so you found yourself, as you say in the piece, constantly struggling throughout your childhood and even into your 20s to sort of negotiate that divide.
2: Yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting when you think about the idea of like stealing yourself to be able to face... Um, the challenges that exist within within the world you know and that's a burden um, that I think is you know unique to people of color where they have to sort of be prepared for these this extra shit that could happen you know And, and it could happen to you or happen to your family and you have to be extra hard to be able to face so many of the challenges that are going to come your way and there's a, a definitely a thought process there where it's like, well, you need to be hard, you need to be tough, because the world is going to be tough.
0: It's not like this is just based on something that happened mm-hmm. 50, 100, 200 years ago. I mean, you refer to Dylan Roof in, in your piece and the modern manifestation of racial terrorism, police shootings that happen every year. I'm, this is very much a, a, a present-day problem and not just some legacy. Even if you talk about the legacy and how it was erected, it's not like this is just some nostalgic masculinity that doesn't have some basis in in the here and now. And I think that's, as you point out in the piece, why it's so hard to deal with it, is that these problems are still so fresh.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're definitely still dealing with, you know, that sort of systemic institutional racism. And I think, you know, you can look at issues of masculinity when you look at the way that, uh, law enforcement and people interact with each other. You know, there's that power dynamic when you get pulled over by a police officer, and you know, maybe they ask you to get out of your car, or they search you, or they pat you down, or they, you know, that that whole experience can be emasculating. You know, it can it can take away your I- ideas of what you hold on to as 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 your manhood. One thing I wanted to ask about is the reaction of the piece,
0: because a lot of the piece is about African-American culture, your family, mm-hmm. the men in your family, the relationships that the men you know have with women, your own relationship with your own girlfriend, mm-hmm. and overcoming all of that, overcoming the legacy of stealing yourself against the world. Right. So I wondered, did you get any
2: hostile or sort of skeptical reactions from men you know? No, I mean, it's been interesting. Um, I think a lot of people have been super supportive of the piece. It's funny. It's one of the pieces that I've written that I've had the most outreach from. So I've never written a piece where people told me that they cried when they read it. But I've gotten that numerous times from people of all different races. And I've gotten long emails from from, uh, young black men who are my peers who are like, this is my life. You know what I'm saying? You wrote something that really speaks to all my experiences and put it down on the page. And and I tried to put myself into it and really be open um, so that people could see themselves in it as well. And, you know, know that there's a lot of honesty there and um, I hope it's a topic that I can, you know, revisit again and again, cause I'm learning, you know, like the, the, the thing that happened to me when I was at the, museum when I started to cry that was a new experience for me and since then I've had to think and recalibrate a lot of what I think about this stuff you know to to sort of grow and be a better person as I continue on the path to becoming my own person because that's that's what it is really right like it's like dispelling notions of what people think you should be and be who you are so as I get closer to being who I want to be as opposed to what the world thinks I'm supposed to be I hope I have more opportunities to like share that and write and write about it Um, and I think that probably writing about it will push me further along that path
0: what did your parents say your mother but also your father who's who's in who's in the essay you know a little more than your mother
2: yeah I I think my dad was really into it because I think that a lot of this stuff is are things that he has felt through the years You know, like in the piece I talk about the evolution of masculinity. So from my grandfather to my dad to myself. With my grandfather, you know, he's much more of like a cold, emotionless, and my dad is more defined by his anger and sort of outbursts of emotion. And I think my dad, having been raised by his father, he wanted to be different. He wanted to have give me something more. And so I think that my dad was in a position where he could see the inner workings of it, but still sort of trapped by it, you know, and so I think that when he sees me um, do things that break down some of those barriers, I think it makes him happy because he he looks at it in a way as like, okay, my son can go places that I couldn't go or I can't go. One of the things we have to remember when we're talking about these issues of masculinity is that they do go hand in hand with, with racism and with um, systemic institutional oppression. And it, you know, if we're going to beat that, we also have to beat these toxic masculinity issues. Uh, that's why I think it's important for black men to investigate these things within themselves and think about it because this stuff is, is holding us back emotionally. And it's also part of what keeps and what has kept all of us oppressed. You know, So we need, we need to break it down.
1: The Vice Magazine Podcast is a production of Vice Media. This issue was produced and edited by Sophie Kazis. For more info on the podcast or how to subscribe to the magazine, visit vice.com. And be sure to subscribe to the Vice Magazine Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Acast, or any podcast app you use. Leave us a rating and review and let us know what you think. I'm Ellis Jones, and I'd like to give a special thanks to Matt Taylor and Wilbert Cooper, We'll be back next week with another episode. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more